0: Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, today may you truly empty our minds of the concerns and cares that we have carried with us into this day. Lord, we are pilgrims and strangers. We do not belong here. And yet, Father, we feel the weight of the burdens of this world upon us. Lord, we feel the weight and the burdens of our own failures and sins from this past week. But, Father, help us to realize and hope in the fact that our hope is not found within us. It is found outside of us in Christ alone. So, Father, grip our hearts with that truth today that we would be stayed upon Him. That in finding Him, our all in all, we would have hearts that are fully blessed. That despite the joys and trials and sorrows of this life, Lord, You are all in all to us. Father, make that Clear to us today as we look to your word. Father, by your Spirit, open our hearts to see our sin, to hate it, to kill it by your grace, and to seek to be conformed more into the image of Christ. Father, bring revival in our hearts today. We pray all this in the name of Christ our Savior, pleading. His blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 2. We're going to be introducing the prophet Zephaniah here this morning. Again, last week we spent some time just introducing the minor prophets in general. And we used as our text uh, Jeremiah's call for us to break up our fallow ground, to till up the hard soil of our soul. And that is going to be the theme that we carry throughout this study, is that our own hearts would be open to what the Lord has for us, that it would break up the sin. And particularly what we see with the minor prophets is they are calling Israel to restore Worship of the true God. They're calling Israel to repent of their idolatry. And they're calling Israel to turn back to Yahweh, the Lord God, alone. They're calling upon Israel to seek revival by repenting in their own hearts. And so Jeremiah's call to break up our fallow ground is going to be a call that echoes through every single one of these last four books of the old testament and so we begin with zephaniah who is a prophet of wrath and rejoicing he's a prophet of both things wrath and rejoicing it's interesting if you were to pull aside most people on the street today and ask them what their impression would be of the God of the Old Testament, oftentimes they see the Bible as sort of split into two different gods. The Old Testament God is a God of rules, a God of judgment, a God of anger, a God of vindication, a a God who is harsh with His people. But yet when we get to the New Testament, we find that God is a God, at least from the perspective of many people in the world today, of kindness and love and compassion and grace. And All you have to do to answer that question is read your Bible. I I find it very interesting that oftentimes the biggest way to answer questions in this life is just simply take those words. Read your Bible. There was a professor I had in college, and, and he used to have this saying when somebody would be doing something that people do all the time, but yet clearly was against God's word, he would tell the students there, he's like, what I want you to do is if this is what you do, I want you to go home, get yourself a nice white t-shirt, grab a big sharpie marker and just write on your shirt, I don't read my Bible. So much can be answered by just simply opening up the word of God and reading it. And so it is true that Zephaniah provides for us a vision of God who is holy and justly wrathful. But he also ends this book with some of the greatest messages of the grace and love and kindness of God. So Zephaniah is truly a prophet of wrath and rejoicing. Now, I had you turn to Zephaniah 2, 3, but we're going to get there in just a second. I want to begin by just reading the first words of Zephaniah. Zephaniah 1, 1. And as we introduce Zephaniah, Zephaniah. We're going to answer some questions about this book, about who Zephaniah is, what the circumstances are that he's speaking into, and then provide some principles as we journey through this book over the next who knows how long. (laughs) As we journey through this book, some things that we should be looking for in our own hearts. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1 the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Who is this Zephaniah? And I think it's important for us to realize that besides everything else we're going to look at, at who Zephaniah is, this book is is primarily concerned with one aspect of who Zephaniah is. He is someone to whom the word of the Lord came. This immediately identifies him as a prophet. If you remember what we looked at last week in describing what it meant to be a prophet, a prophet was one literally to whom the Lord spoke, or to whom the word of the Lord came. And so Zephaniah is one to whom Yahweh has spoken. Now, that term Yahweh or Yahweh is a term I'm going to use throughout. This study, And it is a term that is the name that I think we should properly refer to when we see in our Bibles the capital letters L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is the covenant name of God. It is the name by which he told Moses that he wanted to be known by, Yahweh. And so when you see that term, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is referring to the covenant name of the God of Israel. And He is our God. We are grafted into that group. We are those who have, by faith in Christ, who is the Lord, who is Yahweh in the flesh, we have that same God. And all the blessings of Abraham are ours by faith in Him. Now, everything that follows in this book is the word of the Lord. So I want us to begin by understanding what we read here are not simply the opinions of a man who perhaps has some royal lineage in him. He is not just the opinions of a man who was there at a time of great revival in the, in the nation of Judah. This is not the opinion of men. It is the word of God. And thereby, if God has spoken to it, what is our responsibility? Listen. Obey. And so Zephaniah begins by providing that clarity for us. Now Zephaniah also provides a little bit of a genealogy of who he is. He tells us that he is the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. Now, this extensive, and and when you think of genealogies, obviously you think of these long lists that you find in Numbers and in Genesis and throughout Scriptures, even in the book of Matthew, and all these names that nobody can pronounce. Thankfully, these ones were a little bit easier to pronounce here this morning. But we think of those as long lists. But here, Zephaniah, I think, is being intentional in bringing this about. In fact, you won't find a longer genealogy in any of the other prophets zephaniah is making a point to identify his family now the question is why there's a couple things that scholars have looked at and and considered And, and first i find interesting is he calls himself the son of Cushi. now it's by no means certain that he is referring to this one particular aspect here but it is possible that this name indicates a level of african descent because the cushites who he's actually going to refer to later on in the book refers to ethiopians and it refers to an area in egypt so just just to back up for a second it is possible that zephaniah has some african blood in him and he's not ashamed to make that known and aware Again, what we see throughout and particularly in Zephaniah's book is is God is going to talk about the fact that all the nations are going to be brought in and all the nations are going to have a pure speech. And so there's a wonderful encouragement in the fact that the gospel, even from the Old Testament, encompasses every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. But also, while that conjecture may be interesting, it's most likely the fact that he is carrying out this genealogy to get us to the point that recognizes he is the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. Now, who is Hezekiah? Hezekiah seems, as, as the writer of, of the book of Kings tells us, Hezekiah is the greatest of the kings of Judah. Hezekiah had a close, personal intimate relationship with God. We see that in 2 Kings 18:5 through 6. He was a reformer. And as Israel had come into a time where before him they had began to sink and and go towards other gods, Hezekiah came in and tore down the high places. He destroyed idols and the things used in idol worship. And what's amazing is at this time, it had even become a point where, remember that Moses in the wilderness held up a bronze serpent? That bronze serpent had become a stumbling block to Israel, and people were worshiping that bronze servant. So Hezekiah, seeing the stumbling block that it was, he destroyed it. Got it out of the way. He was also a valiant warrior king. And he had won, the Lord was with him in many, many battles. God was good to Hezekiah, giving him prosperity and even healing him from a deadly sickness. Hezekiah was a reformer. But we find towards the end of his life, greed, pride, and selfishness crept into his heart. In fact, to some degree, the very downfall of Judah as a nation, the very seeds of that idea may have begun during Hezekiah's reign. Because during Hezekiah's reign, there were envoys sent from Babylon to see him. And, and what he did was he pretty much flaunted all the riches that they had. He flaunted what, he, what the Lord had given him, but yet he and his pride brought that about and what we find later on after his great-grandson's reign Hezekiah after or after Josiah's reign what we find is Judah is taken captive by what nation the Babylonians so it's a reminder to us that we should rejoice and seek change in our own lives but If we seek change for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but by the end of our lives we turn back, we still need to constantly be repenting of our sin. We should never become complacent with where we are in our walk with the Lord. No one on this earth, no one in this room, and no one behind this pulpit has arrived in their spiritual journey. And Hezekiah is a warning to us of this. Now, Hezekiah was certainly remembered for his faith, his reforms, and his victories. But he's a reminder that we must give God all of us. That we would have built within us by the Spirit's work a desire to be like Hezekiah all the time. So this is who Zephaniah is. He has likely royal Blood in him, a heritage of kings, and a heritage from one of the greatest kings of Judah. Now, when was Zephaniah written? And with this, we have some very clear indications for us. It it came, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah in the days of Josiah, the king of Judah. So what we can sort of figure out as we look at different things that happened in the world at that time that are mentioned in Scripture is Zephaniah's ministry would have been sometime between the years 640 and 600 B.C. Now, if you remember, I always get this confused because we always go up, but before there was the switchover from B.C. to A.D., things counted down. So, does it makes sense there? I always get confused. I'm no historian, so there you go. Now, what was going on during Josiah's reign? And, and I think this is important for us to keep in mind. Because it helps us to understand the context into which Zephaniah is speaking. Zephaniah, speaking during the days of Josiah, reminds us of some things about how God was working among his people. Now, Josiah came to power at a very wise old age of eight. All right? So, you know, I want you to think those of you who have children... Could you imagine your eight-year-olds running a country, (laughs) all right? It would be chaos and pandemonium, all right? Josiah came. Of course, we know that there were likely uh, advisors, wise men that came and and helped him. Zephaniah himself may have been one of those advisors for Josiah. What were the kings like before Josiah? Well, the two kings that were in between Hezekiah's reign and Josiah's reign were Manasseh, and Ammon. Now if you know anything of the history of Israel, if you've ever done any study about those things, Manasseh is not a name that engenders confidence in the Lord God. Manasseh and Ammon, both of them, were wicked, idolatrous kings. They turned back from the reforms of their father Hezekiah and went deeply into sinful actions. Manasseh, is actually described as likely the worst of the kings of Judah. He was evil and did evil. Manasseh defiled the temple by erecting altars to the sun, the moon, and the stars there. Manasseh actually offered his own son as a human sacrifice to a god. He actually sought and consulted with demonic forces through mediums and necromancers. And again, Manasseh's reign is evaluated as being more wicked than the nations that existed before Israel began the conquest. Now, I want you to think about that, that indictment that God places against Manasseh's reign. Israel was to come and to be the light To these nations. And in Manasseh's reign, Judah became so filled with evil and darkness that they were worse. They were darker than the nations around them. But Manasseh's story does not end there. Just as Hezekiah's story ends with him falling into selfishness and pride, Manasseh's story ends with what seems to be a repentance and genuine faith in the coming Messiah. We see this in 2 Chronicles 33, 10-13. And what this reminds us of is that God extends grace to the greatest of sinners. Our God is a God who comes to those who are the worst that we could imagine. The worst of the kings of Judah finds salvation by turning to the Lord. And let us never think in any way, shape, or form in our own minds that we have gone so far as to the fact that God could not forgive us. His grace extends to the greatest of sinners. And I pray that today you can say His grace extended to you. His son Ammon was no better And actually, as a result of Ammon's reign, as he persisted in this sin, things were so bad that that those that were in the court of Ammon rose up against him and killed him. He was assassinated. The people of Israel saw this, and, and they didn't like what was happening, so they rose up and killed those that had killed Ammon. And so Israel was in this very fragile state. Particularly Judah was in this very fragile state. And after these bloody conflicts, we see Josiah coming to power as a young boy. We see that he reigned for a time and probably there were, again, advisors and and those that were helping him and helping him guide the country. And then probably around the age of 18, 19, or 20, the scriptures tell us that he began to seek the Lord of David his father. Josiah had a heartfelt desire to turn back to God. And so Zephaniah begins his ministry during Josiah's reign. Now, the the connection between Zephaniah and Hezekiah, and then the mention of Josiah, because they were likely distant cousins... Zephaniah may have actually been living in the royal palace. Zephaniah would have definitely had access to the king. And so Zephaniah's influence over Josiah is great. He had the ear of the king. And so Josiah begins great reforms. He tears down the, the high places. He goes in and, and wipes out and seeks to clean out all the idolatry that's in Judah. Josiah affects just the same reforms that Hezekiah did. And it is during this time, during this time of revival, that Zephaniah begins his ministry. Now, I think there's some question as to when in Josiah's reign did Zephaniah begin his ministry. Did he, Was his, this word, this book, his prophecy, the actual catalyst that brought about the reforms and the revivals in, in Israel, or in Judah, or is he prophesying after the end of that time where he's calling Israel to realize that as they're repenting and as they're being revived, they need to go further. And we don't really know 100% which time that was, but I will say this, the message of Zephaniah is just as needed for the church today as it was thousands of years ago. What was happening in And among God's people, Judah, during the reign of Josiah, is what we need to see happening here. And the very things that Judah turned from, we as a church need to turn from. Idolatry fills the church across the world. Idolatry fills the hearts of God's own people And let's just be honest, idolatry can creep into each and every one of our hearts here today. Zephaniah is not going to pull any punches. He is going to probe deep into the depths of your soul and your heart. And God is going to use Zephaniah to show you where you need to repent. And so as we come to this book, The circumstances are very similar. The times are different, but the heart of man is the same. Again, we all want revival. If I were to call and say, how many of you want revival? I'd hear amens and shouts and hoops and hollers. Then we've got to break up the fallow ground. And God uses Zephaniah as a hammer, as a chisel, as a spade to break up our hearts by pointing us to turn away from the idols of our hearts. Now, what is Zephaniah's main theme? And it is the day of the Lord. Now, again, this reminds us and connects us with what we looked at in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verse 10a, there is a reality that the day of the Lord, is it going to possibly come? Is there a 75 a, percent a chance, or a 90 percent chance, or, or a 95 percent chance of the day of the Lord will come? What, what, is, the, what is the possibility that the, the day of the Lord will come? How certain can we be of it? hundred percent. The day of the Lord will come, and it's going to come like a thief. And so this becomes the very focus of Zephaniah's prophecy, the day of the Lord. And again, it's interesting to me that this is the book that comes during the time of Josiah when Israel is experiencing revival and reform. We would think that to some extent maybe God would send a prophet that would give him a good old attaboy, right? Oh, this is great. Israel's doing great. And I think what Zephaniah provides for us is if if we want to just not experience revival for a period of time, but we want to experience it for an extended time, for the entirety of our lives, we must be looking to the consequences of sin. And so Zephaniah is going to focus on two things about the day of the Lord. First of all, the day of the Lord is a day of terror. Verse 2 of Zephaniah sort of jumps right in. God says, I will utterly sweep away, what? Everything. Everything from what? The entire face of the earth. In fact, we see the day of the Lord described in terrifying language. If you look in chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, Notice what Zephaniah says about the day of the Lord. It is hastening near. It's near and near and hastening near. Um, The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. A mighty man cries aloud there. All right? Like, you know, you think about the, the muscle men, you know, the big, strong men, you know, we don't cry, right? Strong men don't cry, right? And in this day, no matter how strong you are, there will be weeping over what is going to happen. And notice what he describes it as it's a day of wrath a day of distress and anguish, of ruin and devastation, of darkness and gloom, of clouds and thick darkness, a trumpet blast, a battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. That is the day of the Lord. It is fearful. Now what's interesting here is as we look at chapter 1, while at the very beginning he speaks of this as an entire worldwide thing, his focus very clearly he comes closerly, clo- wow, that's a good new one. Add that to the golden vocabulary, closerly. I like that. That should be in like, like a new dictionary or something. New American dictionary. His focus comes in closer to God's own people. And what is amazing here is that Zephaniah pulls no punches in pointing out the fact that that God's own people, those who are among his people, those who claim to be his followers, they will experience this day of wrath. The focus of this judgment is widespread, encompassing not just those with political and monetary power, and and Zephaniah is going to call them out, but it encompasses every single individual in Judah that does not bow the knee to God as Lord. Peter reminds us of this in 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is time for judgment to begin where? Where does judgment begin? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So the day of the Lord is a day of terror. Chapter one again focuses, begins with all the world, but focuses on Judah. Chapter two expands this great and terrible day of the Lord to include the nations. And these nations that have persisted in prideful arrogance since their inception, these nations that seek their own glory and their own prestige and their own preeminence, these nations that Judah so desperately wants to be like are wiped away to nothing. They don't stand a chance against the fury of God's wrath. And let that be a reminder to us the world is so compelling at times to us and you realize that in the end it's not going to hold a candle to the power of our Savior. Keep that in mind when you're tempted to be pulled into the ways of the world. And then chapter 3, the first half of chapter 3 speaks particularly of, of serious, terrible judgment on Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Focus on Jerusalem is of important note for Jerusalem is the city where the Lord, where Yahweh dwells with His people. God speaks through Zephaniah and He expresses a perplexing truth in chapter 3. If there is any city that should respond to God's discipline, if there's any group of people that should hear the message that God has and be warned about the judgment that comes, it should be Jerusalem, right? Where the temple is where God's people worship him. They should be the ones who are most eager to receive the word of God. And yet, God through Jeremiah indicts indicts them and says, rather than an eagerness to repent and return to the Lord, they persist in their corrupt works. And so for us, if there is any group of people that this book should resonate with, it should be the people of Bible Baptist Church. We should hear this message loud and clear. We should be eager to let the Lord use Zephaniah as that tool to break up the fallow ground in our hearts. So the day of the Lord is a day of terror, but it is also a day of hope. As we come to the end of chapter 3, verses 9 through 20 of chapter 3, in the darkness of God's judgments shines the light of His grace. The rest of the book focuses on a time of transformation that is coinciding with the day of the Lord. It's a transformation that comes by means of judgment, but it is a transformation nonetheless. And what we see gloriously revealed to us at the end of Zephaniah, is this transformation is not limited to Judah, but it encompasses all the nations it is worldwide encompassing every tribe kindred tongue and nation so zephaniah truly is a prophet of wrath and rejoicing wrath seeing how god deals with sin and the idolatry of the world and but more particularly the idolatry of his own people and then it gives great joy in the fact that God is the one who will save his people by his grace. So how should we approach Zephaniah going forward? We're going to do a verse-by-verse exposition of this beginning next week, and, and we'll look at these in different sections and seek to, to, to make some applications for us and, and to connect and understand what Zephaniah is saying But as we do this, what should our attitudes be as we approach this book? And Zephaniah himself, I think, provides for us some clear direction. In fact, commands that Zephaniah gives us in this book. And the first is we need to listen. In fact, look in chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. Zephaniah gives a command. What are we supposed to do? Be what? Silent. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guests. We need to listen. Have you ever had that experience? And it's a, it's a terrible experience. and something that we all do, but you're, you're having a conversation with somebody and you're supposed to be listening to what they're saying, but rather than listening, you're waiting for your opportunity to speak. You ever had that happen to you? You ever done that? I've done it. Shamefully, I've done that. I think so often we come to God's Word the same way. We have our own ideas. We have our own agendas. We want to see how we can make the Word of God fit into what we want to do. We want to sanitize our own way by doing injustice to what the Word of God says. And so we come to God with Noisy minds, noisy hearts, pushing our own way. And God says, quite bluntly, shut up. Be quiet. Be silent before the Lord. Listen, if Zephaniah is going to have any impact in your life, if these minor prophets are going to have any impact in your life, you have to turn aside from thinking your own ways and just listen. You can't listen if you're so busy talking. And so as we come in here week after week, as you enter these doors, be silent before the Lord. Be prepared to listen to what He would have you to do. As we journey through this book, and frankly, any book of God's word, there will be a temptation to, in one sense, converse with what God has said. Don't converse. Listen. Let him be the one who speaks into your hearts. We all say we want to hold on to God's world, but when in reality we just want to seek our own way. And Zephaniah says, stop. Be silent before the Lord. And then, secondly, we're called to seek. Listen. Secondly, seek. And this is where we come to Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Zephaniah 2, verse 3. And, and I would say that this becomes. The major message of Zephaniah. Yes, the theme is the day of the Lord. But what should be our response to this understanding of the day of the Lord? We see it in Zephaniah 2, 3. Seek the Lord. All you humble of the land. And what what is the, like he calls us to seek the Lord. And then he provides some descriptions of what it means. What it looks like to seek the Lord. You're humble. You do His just commands. You don't argue with his commands. You don't try to say, well, this isn't the best way or or, this should be a different way or I'll keep it this way. You just say, God's ways are just and I will live by them. You seek righteousness, you seek humility. Do all this and perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord. The great issue, really, that provoked the Lord to wrath against the world, but also against His own people, is that they did not seek Him. Rather, they sought idols. They sought to be like the nations around them. They sought to worship other gods. In fact, in Zephaniah 1.6, notice what God says. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not, what? Seek. The Lord or inquire of him. I wonder how often you go about your day, you make your decisions, you live your life without any regard to the Lord your God. Zephaniah is saying you need to seek the Lord. The great problem with Judah. According to Zephaniah is this failure and the great problem with the church today, the great problem with Bible Baptist church is that we don't seek the Lord as we ought to. Now this is one of the most basic and fundamental flaws of humanity. John Calvin is famously quoted as saying, The heart of man is an idol factory we are so easily creating other things to seek rather than God. There's so many things. And Jesus puts his finger on this in Luke. Luke chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, he says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. No, be worried. He says, because the nations of the world seek after these things. Now, notice the things that Jesus said. He doesn't say riches here. He doesn't say wealth. He doesn't say prestige. He doesn't say having mansions and possessions and all those things. Notice the very basic things he speaks to. Food and drink. Why? Why does he focus on those things? Because they are an example of the most basic aspects of life that we seek above God himself. And what ends up happening is we seek these things. What do we end up being? We end up being what? Worried. What should we do instead of being worried about how we're going to get the things we need? Instead of seeking those things, who should we seek? The Lord. And if we're seeking Him, We won't be worried about the things that our God, who is a loving Heavenly Father, who will never give us a stone or never give us a snake when we ask for bread or meat. He will always give us exactly what we need. God will never fail you. So seek Him. We seek prestige. Jesus How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Boy, how we build our own confidence, our own significance on what other people think about us, right? It's so easy to do that. We we yearn to be praised. And we... Jesus, Jesus brings this point out as listen, if, if you're looking to get glory from each other, then you're not going to be able to believe because you're not even at the very basic level seeking the Lord. And so Zephaniah's message is the message that Isaiah calls us to seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that the Lord would do what? Have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And what is the wonderful truth of the gospel is that no matter how far you may have sought other things, if you turn to Christ, he will never cast you out. He will always receive you as you come to him in faith, and he will abundantly pardon. If he can pardon the sins of Manasseh, he can pardon any sins. So, we need to seek the Lord. One thing I failed to mention earlier on is that Zephaniah is a contemporary of Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Zephaniah are speaking at the same times. And notice what Jeremiah says about Judah, particularly in reference to the northern kingdom, to Israel. But he says, Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her what? Whole heart. But in pretense, declares the Lord. Here's the key to revival seeking and returning to the Lord, not with part of you, not with some of you, but with your whole heart. We listen, we seek. Thirdly, we wait. Zephaniah is going to call us to wait. Look at Zephaniah 3, 8. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, Wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. We need to wait on the Lord. How many of you are happy with the way things are in this world today? Good, no hands are up. How many of you are frustrated with the way things are among the leaders of this world today? I don't care if you're riding a donkey or an elephant. This place is a mess. The world persists in defaming the most beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And during this time, we look and we see all this evil. And we suffer, we languish underneath it. And Zephaniah says, wait for the Lord. In fact, God says through Zephaniah, wait for me. We need to have patience as we wait for God to act, knowing that he will act. Again, this is one of the things we talked about early on last week. The prophets are going to talk about stuff that 's going to happen in the future to when they 're writing, but also in the future to when we 're when we exist. There are things the prophets talk about that haven 't happened yet, and sometimes our desire is to be morbidly focused on those things and try to try to read the tea leaves of scripture. Maybe this is referring to this and and may, maybe this war in israel is referring is referring to something that Hezekiah is, or or, I'm sorry, Hezekiah, that that Zephaniah or Nahum or Isaiah is referring to. And we want to draw straight lines. Listen, the only straight line that we need to draw is to what God says here in verse 8. Wait for me, I will act. And while we should be aware of the signs and, and seasons and understand those things, the reality is God will fulfill His word in His timetable according to His ways, not ours. I think we all would yearn for Jesus to come back right now. He has chosen not to. So we must patiently wait for Him. Again, to tie in with our study of Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, To some count slowness, but is patient towards us. And why why does he wait? And one of the reasons he waits is that he would save his people. Not only that any of us should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But don't be deceived. The day of the Lord will come like what? A thief. A thief never announces when he's going to break into your house. And so the Lord's coming will come suddenly. Habakkuk reminds us of this. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, what is our response? We need to what? Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And Isaiah reminds us, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. Wait in the Lord. Be strong and let your heart, heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in what? Silence. Because your hope is in him. So as we approach Zephaniah, we need to listen, we need to seek, we need to wait. Fourthly, we need to hope. We need to hope. And this is what Zephaniah reminds us of in verse 9. As he calls us to wait in verse 8 of chapter 3 in verse 9, he tells us of this time where he will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them all the nations may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord we are waiting because our hope is in what God will do listen our hope must never be in ourselves it must never be in our politics, our policies. It must never be in our actions and our deeds. We hope in the Lord, in Him alone. He is the one who will act. He is the one who brings salvation, cleansing and transformation by His grace. Our responsibility is to repent of following other things and to believe and trust in Him. And the final thing we're called to do as we approach this book, listening, seeking, waiting, hoping, is we worship. The end of this book, in verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14, there is a strong command that God gives to Judah. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem. God wants us to exuberantly praise Him. Now I have always been happy with the fact that when we sing and we sing out, we we sing out, we truly lift up our voices and praise to the Lord. But could we not do better? This God who is speaking to us, who calls us to seek Him, to whom we are waiting for and our hope is in Him. He will do all these things, so we must respond with worship. So sing out loud. When we consider all that God accomplishes in redeeming His people, all the benefits that salvation brings to His people who've been transformed by His grace, how can we not shout, I'm saved! I'm cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. I can't even imagine what it was like for John to hear that throng around the throne and before the Lamb that cry out, You have worked, you have died, and you have created for us a people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, as there are individuals from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation that have been made a nation and priests to God through what Christ has done. And this is what they live to do, to praise the Lamb. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? Sing with all your might, and you'll get a glimpse, just a glimpse of what it will be like. So Zephaniah is a prophet of wrath and rejoicing wrath that calls us to account and shows us the consequences of failing to repent, but joy in what our Lord does to save us. May we truly approach Zephaniah looking to these things, listening to his word, seeking the Lord himself, waiting for patiently with faith for God to act, hoping in God's work through Christ and responding with worship. May that be our attitude so that our souls would break up our fallow ground and we would be changed by His grace. I'm excited about what God will do and can do through this passage, through these books. May we prepare our hearts every week to come and to learn of our great God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Zephaniah, Lord. Thank you for all that we have been able to learn about him and particularly for what he calls us to do. Father, may we come every Sunday going forward with anticipation for what You're going to do through Your Word here on Sundays. May we anticipate it ourselves by reading Zephaniah's prophecy, by by studying it and immersing ourselves in it and meditating upon it so that that impact would continue throughout the week. Father, bring revival as You change our hearts, as Your Word breaks up the cold, hard ground. And there we sow not among thorns, but we sow into the good ground of faith that your Spirit works within us so that we would be like Jesus. For the work is only you can.